gentleman came up to me. I don't, didn't know who he was. Uh, he was from uh, the UK. And he looked at me. He was probably in his 50s and came up to me on Sunday right before uh, the award ceremony. And I was about ready to go on stage and he came up and he just shook my hand. I shook his hand and he just stared at me and he wasn't saying anything. Kept holding on to my hand. And I'm about ready to say, yeah, uh, I got to go on stage here. And he just started crying. He just lost it. He just started crying in front of me. And part of me saying, hold it together, Mike. You know, you've got a show to do. And (laughs) the other part's going, what is his story and the why and the something that was said to him made an impact that possibly changed his life and then let go of my hand and he just said thank you and turned around and walked away and and that that stuck with me because you know sometimes words don't need to be spoken to get the biggest message across and so I went up on stage I don't know, I was like floating up there. I just, I said, maybe I did something right. You know, you go through life and you just wonder, and you know the things you don't do correct and the things you wish you could take back. And But I went up there thinking, you know, maybe I did some stuff right here, especially on this island, especially where the world would come to meet. Uh, so that was, that was impactful. That was, words weren't spoken, but they didn't need to be. Welcome to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast, where every week since 2016, we share stories of people looking, finding, and living their purpose. We are Jess and BJ, and the intention from which this show was born is to remind us all that we're never alone and that we're capable of achieving anything we put our minds on. All we need is a willingness to begin and the discipline to stay the course. Our guest today is Mike Riley, a true legend in the hearts and minds of so many, and someone who has witnessed the finish point of hundreds of thousands of dreams. As the lead announcer for Ironman triathlons across the globe for more than three decades, Mike is most celebrated for creating a universal language that consists of four simple words. You are an Ironman has been a primary motivator for countless triathletes to get out of bed each morning and get after their goal of finishing the iconic Ironman triathlon. Mike was our guest for the 100th episode of this podcast in 2018, on which we dive into his backstory, the journey to his reign on the red carpet, and the big island moment when that famous phrase was born. We're excited to have him back on the show today and looking forward to another meaningful conversation with not just a voice, but the kind and compassionate heart of this Ironman hero. Mike Riley, welcome back to the show. Oh, Justin BJ, thank you very much. It is fantastic to be with you again. Yeah, it's been uh, it's great to reconnect. It's been great to see you throughout the years at different races. Um, and what I didn't mention in the intro is that since the last time we talked, and actually during that conversation when we spoke last, you were talking about a book you were writing, which is now done. Um, you also have a podcast under the same name as the book, and you are on the other side of playing this role of being the official voice of of Iron Man. So when we look at a big life change like that, I see it in three different phases. You know, the the time frame before we make the choice to step away, the time between making that choice and then 
I, we could say the, the end or actually the jump off the cliff into what you're living now, which is this, this new phase, this, this new reality, this new role of, uh, of just being, of just being Mike. So, um, yeah. What's life look, look like for you now? Well, just those three little phases you just put that in, that was spot on because thinking about, uh, moving away from the microphone, you talk about a push and a pull in my head. (laughs) You know, one race I'd say, okay, I'm not coming back. The next I'd go, yeah, I'm coming back. And it was just back and forth for a year or so. And then the months leading up to the decision after I mentally made the decision and then still had doubt, but then letting Ironman know that was, that was jumping off the cliff, man. Uh, But what life is like now it's interesting. Everybody asked me that. Here we are kind of in the off season. My last event was December uh, and I wouldn't do another event until March, April, you know, till like Oceanside or uh, Texas in April. So this time of year, I'm always off anyway, riding my bike a lot, going out to dinner a lot, you know, being with friends, being with the grandkids. So it's never really, it's not really different now. I think the difference you know when it's going to come, the difference is going to come on the weekends of the events that I've done so many times, whether it be Oceanside or Texas or Lake Placid or Wisconsin or Mont-Tremblant or Kona. Uh, those weekends are going to be, I don't know what I'm going to be doing on those weekends. Probably out riding my bike a million miles, you know, just to, <laughs> just, just to kind of stay away from it. So we'll see. It's a transition. It's a you know, you've kind of transported, I've transported myself into a new uh, area of my life, which is fine, which is great. And, you know, when one door closes, I've got a lot more I think are going to open up. Um, I had the privilege of participating in your last two uh, races. Well, the one in um, Kona, which was my first Kona. So I was actually able to have you call my name and then in Arizona and it's been a lifelong journey for me like everybody else it's been you know 19 years in the making to get to that island and finally I did and it was your last one which is so beautiful and it took a lot of trust and faith and uh, a feeling that this was what I was supposed to do how how are you working with <laughs> how do you work with trusting that you know as you embarked on this journey as the voice there were challenges along the way and you trusted this is exactly what was supposed to unfold for you. So there was that unknown and doubt and uncertainty before. And then you had 30 years of, of just amazing success. And now you're transitioning, as you just said, to this part of your life. And there's unknownness, there's doubt um, as well. What do you pull upon? Like, what is your, what is your anchor for trust? My anchor is family. I obviously I've been defined by what I've pursued in my career all these years as the person on that microphone at the finish line for so many people. That's what so many people see me as. I, I see a part of me as that because obviously it's a big part of my life and big part of the passion of my life, but it's not the whole me and I'm depending and relying on you know, the, the Mike Riley that others know, the Mike Riley that my, my kids know, the Mike Riley that my friends know, the, the, the guy that is a, a brother to sisters and brothers 
that we always get together and it's a different time. You know, I, I played, uh, I played golf out in your neck of the woods at the crossings on, in Carlsbad on Sunday with a friend who's been to Ironman, but he, uh, had never done one or anything, but, and then two other people that we met up with that were married to our, some high school friends. And I thought about it halfway through the word triathlon, triathlete, Ironman, finish line never came up for four and a half hours. And about halfway through, I go, this is, this is kind of cool. This is kind of refreshing. There is another side of, the, of, of life, of the world that you can discuss. And we talked about a lot of things in life and families and all that good stuff. But that part of my world never came up. I, I, I'm not saying, oh, that's cool. I'm glad it didn't. I'm just saying that it was, it was a bit refreshing. It was a bit like a little bit of a wake up for me. Like, you know, I don't have to go everywhere and always talk about that world, which I like as much as anybody else love talking about <laughs> and telling the stories of. But I found that interesting. It kind of gave me a little clue into myself that maybe I didn't have the day before that. What was that last Kona Kona like? I mean, um, hmm. I, I, I asked that question. Yeah, let me just stay with that question. What was that experience like for you? I probably couldn't have written a Hollywood script any better. You know, my wife went, my son and daughter were there, my wife's twin sister and, and husband, and I've been together with him since second grade, uh, my daughter-in-law. And it was just to have everyone there was very special. Uh, they were, they were, it was weird because a lot of times I've been to Kona by myself and nobody went, you know, I just went and did the deal and came home or just my wife went or my son was there or whatever. But, but this trip, it was like, they were, you okay? You know, you, what do you need? What do you, it was almost too much catering to. Uh, and I don't know if that was designed because of the two days of racing and, and, and listen, guys, you know, a lot of the reasons I'm not doing it anymore, I would take my voice four or five days to recover, not 12 hours like it used to. And, you know, I'm not 45 years old anymore and the, the long days. So, when, when we got to Conan, I had to do, you know, two of them in three days. They were, they, they were just really supportive. But every function, uh, Diana Birch, the, the race director there, had a surprise for me at every function, for goodness sakes. And it was almost like, oh, here, here comes something else. And, and I was so appreciative. And, and, and what athletes would come up and say to me, I, I just, it was hard to, it was hard to comprehend. It was hard to pull it in because it was such nice from no matter if the person was from Germany or South America or Toledo, Ohio. I mean, the, the things that athletes said to me and what their call I've made for them meant to them. Uh, many saying it was the best day of their lives. And I've heard that a lot over the years, but Kona, it just seemed like, and, and people would come up, BJ like you, and say, Mike, this is my first and it's your last. It, the stars were aligned. Thank goodness I qualified this year and not for next year. And I go, oh, yeah, that's great. And, and it's just it, Kona. And then knowing uh, I was fine all day long Thursday. 
Thursday night, we had a great time. Saturday, all day long, doing my thing, getting to the positions I'm announcing and worrying about where the other announcers are at. You know, everything I do. And then when I went down to the finish line, the final hour and a half or so, that's when it hit me. I go, this is my last trip out of that tower down to this finish line to bring those final finishers in, you know, kind of like face to face. And the crowd down there was, I go, who, who are all these people? This crowd down here was huge. And uh, so I brought everybody in, but then I realized there's going to be a last call here in Kona. The last time I say those four words. <laughs> and then when that came, it was very emotional. I, I'm, I'm glad I got them out without blubbering and blabbering. You know what I mean? <laughs> now you were beautiful and eloquent and we were there oh, for, for that finish. And it was funny bef- this morning, BJ had this like, oh, and I was like, what, what? And he went into his phone and pulled up a video. And so he has your, that, your final words before the fire dancers came out. And it's just, yeah. it's beautiful. It's full of gratitude. And, and so much, like you said, there was a celebration at everything, you know, everywhere you turned around and two days of racing and all of this. And that takes time to metabolize. So as you came mm. back to the mainland and you metabolized the experience, was there anything about those two days of racing that stood out to you or something that somebody said that just resonated at a deeper level? It was a gentleman came up to me. I don't, didn't know who he was. Uh, he was from uh, the UK and he looked at me. He was probably in his fifties uh, and came up to me on Sunday, right before uh, the award ceremony. And I was about ready to go on stage and he came up and he just shook my hand. I shook his hand and he just stared at me and he wasn't saying anything. And he held, he kept holding on to my hand. And and I'm about ready to say, yeah, uh, I got to go on stage here. Uh, And he just started crying. He just lost it. He just started crying in front of me. And I, and, and I, Part of me saying, hold it together, Mike, you know, you've got a show to do. And <laughs> the other part's going, what is his story and the why and the something that was said to him made an impact that possibly changed his life. And then he let go of my hand and he just said, thank you and turned around and walked away. Uh, and and that that stuck with me because, you know, sometimes... Words don't need to be spoken to get the biggest message across. And, and that, so I went up on stage. I don't know. I was like floating up there. I just, I said, maybe I did something right. You know, you go through life and you just wonder, and you know, the things you don't do correct and the things you wish you could take back. And, but I went up there thinking, you know, maybe I did some stuff right here, especially on this island, especially where the world would come to meet. Uh, so. That was, that was impactful. That was, words weren't spoken, but they didn't need to be. That's beautiful. Um, I'm almost crying over here. Um, Don't do that. Now. <laughs> Come on, <you> get me <laughs> um, Man, are there any, do you have any regrets at all over, over the course of, uh, you know, the past three decades there is there anything you wish you would have done it sounds like you've you've lived a fulfilled and purposeful um 
I, I, you know, to say, I, I, I really am not a regretful person. There's things that I did on the microphone that after I did it, I go, that was a mistake. And don't you ever do that again. It was like a second grade teacher scolding Mike Riley. <laughs> and my second grade teacher was my mom. <laughs> so it was, I, I've done things like that where I've, I've tried to make a joke, you know, early in their career. You would always think that if you were funny and you got people to laugh, it would be a better time or people would remember it more. But I'm not a comedian. Uh, sometimes I'd say something, everybody started laughing. I'm thinking, what the heck did I just say? Why? That, that was funny. And then other times, so a couple of times I'd make fun of a different uh, country or people from that country. Maybe they weren't as good as swimmers or people from another country and, you know, things like that. I would, and I, I don't do that anymore. And it seems like somebody up above was teaching me a lesson, you know, I'm going to let you say it. It's going to be a mistake, but you're going to remember it and never say it again. And, and one time somebody told me early on, you know, they can, when you're live speaking, everybody hears it. They can forgive you for saying it, but they'll never forget. And I never forgot <laughs> that I said some things I regretted. But the career and the path I took and the events I went to and no, I, 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 I don't regret much at all. I mean, I regret having to travel so much and leave, you know, my family. Uh, but that was the nature, you know, we, <laughs> we're in the weekend business, we are. And it wasn't like we would leave Tuesday and come home Thursday. We would leave Wednesday and come home Monday. So uh, that was tough on the, on the family. But uh, no regrets. I'm very happy where I'm sitting now. And and I think that foundation of what I've done all these years are going to take me forward to what I want to do next. Do you, um, you know, in this, in, in giving of yourself and giving your energy and, and love and compassion and gratitude out for everyone constantly, like relentlessly, when you were up there receiving all these awards, awards or gifts, and did you, was there any, did you have any uh, kind of moments of, uh, struggle with receiving, you know, receiving this back of like, mm, I do this because I love it. You know, I'm not really, it's sort of like a inner, inner turmoil in the mind. No, the, the awards, I, I'm so appreciative. And I mean, the one that when I was given the Ironman Hall of Fame, I think it was back in 2013, or uh, I did not feel worthy of that at all. I thought, what the heck? I, I'm not, I'm not retiring, you know, hall of fame. It's like the end of the career thing. <laughs> you know, that's how I, I go. And then part of me, the pressure, I'm in the hall of fame and I think I'm going to be announcing a few more years, which was like 10 more years, you know? So uh, there's a lot more things I want to do. That one was kind of today. Wow. I'm in the hall of fame. And, and then I just look at other awards and go, I take a look at the others that have received those and go, I'm, I'm so humbled. What am I doing in this group? You know, all I ever wanted to do was just enhance, you know, the best thing you can do in life is enhance somebody else's life with your words and actions. I, I got to do it with my words. And early on when I'd see the look on people's faces of, 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 I sheer 
joy and hope and gratitude and transformation. And when I'd say those words to him, that I, I received an award every smile I got. I received an award of every one pointing at me. I received an award of every comment that came my way afterwards of thank you. Those are the awards that I will truly cherish. Uh, I, not that I won't cherish the other awards. I mean, the USAT Hall of Fame behind me, the, the golden mic they gave me in Kona, which just floored me. Uh, they're, they're very special. Uh, but I was rewarded 2,500 times at every Ironman. <laughs> There's something that you say at the beginning of Ironman, which I've heard countless times as a spectator and a participant about, you know, you have one thing that you can control and that's how you respond to the day. So it's not the external circumstances that, you know, dictate our state. It's, it's an inner, it's an inner circumstance that can dictate our state. And how do people begin to unwrap that to say, well, wait, but it's freezing cold or the water temperature or there's sharks in the ocean or um, the bike courses, you know, the road conditions aren't that great. How can I, how can I be calm through all of that? Like, what is that, what is that inner peace that you're getting at when you say that? Well, the story behind that is it was Ironman Wisconsin, uh, probably about 2010, 11, could have been a little later than that. I've got it in my diary. But it was a miserable, we woke up, I looked out the hotel room and I go, oh my goodness. And I had brought all the rain gear and it was a cold, here it is September in Wisconsin and it's, it's a cold rain. The forecast was literally, I saw the forecast that said for the next 17 hours, I'm going, oh, that's great for the whole day. So Right away, you're kind of down going, all right, how many pairs of socks am I going to carry in my backpack? I got my pants, I, the whole deal. I walk outside and I see a few of the the roadies, the carnies, you know, the ones putting on the race going, this is a you-know-what show today. Look at this. The uh, wind's blowing. And I walk down to the swim start and the athletes, I hear them grumbling. Everybody's just in a mood. And, and I didn't blame them because I was in that mood. So... I stood up on the little scaffold before the start. They're all coming down. All the athletes are coming down to the swim start. And they're just now getting in the water. And I hear somebody behind me complaining about this. Somebody was complaining about that. Finally, it was like, I don't know, the dad came out in me. And the person came out in me to, to help myself. I said, hey, everybody, wait, wait a minute here. You know what? We've only got one thing we can control today, and that's our attitude. We got no control over everything else that's happening right now. So forget about it. It's going to rain. It's going to be windy. It's going to be cold. The day could suck, but your attitude can't suck. You have to keep the attitude strong because that's the only thing today that's going to get you to the finish line. As soon as I finished a roar went up of the athletes in the water, the ones standing there putting their fist up in the air. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going, yeah. It was almost like we were arguing with ourselves and I was scolding them for how dare you think the way I'm thinking right now too. So it was a much for me and for the people, the, the, the ones I love that I was working with all day long as it was the athletes. And 
It, it, so many people came up that Riley, I needed those words. I go, what do you mean? I needed those words as bad as, as bad as you did. You know, I'm, I've never thought of myself of one. I should teach a lesson to everybody. I just put myself in their shoes and that's why those words came out. And I don't know if it was the next race or the one after, or, but somebody came up to me after a race, not long after then said, Riley, you didn't, you didn't tell us about the attitude in the morning. I wanted to hear that. And I go, what? You know, what you said in Wisconsin. Well, I don't know. The next race was a nice, bright, sunny day. I didn't even, you know, I didn't. But then it hit me. I go, yeah, there are so many things out of our control in our life during the day, on a race day, whenever, that maybe sometimes we just need to hear what we know in our heart is true. So... From then on, Jess, I started saying it at every race, and it was expected that I say it. It was funny, kind of funny to me. I'm thinking, God, they kind of know what I'm going to say, but they still want to hear what I'm going to say. It's like, how, how, how much effect can that have? But I would see it in everybody after I would talk about it, and I would change it up. And, but it was the, the message was the same. Control your attitude, because you got nothing else you can control during the day, you know? Mm. It just, it worked for me. It worked for the carnies and the roadies working the race and it worked for the athletes. I think it's a, a reminder that we need to hear. I, I don't, I don't think that we can hear it enough because the external just, it, it can feel so heavy and dense and harsh and real and true. And we can hand our power over to it so quickly. So I think that really that inner work that you're talking about, is just, that reminder of something that we already know. Yeah, we're a very part, you know, we got it together. And if I'm in front of a group, whether it's a corporate or whatever, and I'm talking to them, one of the first things I say, and they bring me in for motivation. I always find that kind of funny. I, because <laughs> I, I love giving those speeches because it motivates myself as much as anybody. But I say to them right away, hey, I'm not here to be the one to motivate you. I can give you some paths, tell you some stories show you some things I think maybe you could do better, but you got to motivate you. I, I, don't, don't put it on me or the person next to you or your boss or your partner. Put it on yourself. You know, wake up and tell yourself the things you know that are true because somebody's not always going to be around telling you, hey, you should do this or you should do that or your attitude should change. And if you don't do that yourself, sometimes you're never going to hear it from somebody else. So that's why I always start out by telling everybody, listen, it's not on me to be here to motivate you. It's on you. <laughs> and and uh, that's why I, I, a lot of times I wake up or if I'm out on my bike going, okay, get your, get your stuff together here. What do you, what do you worry? You're complaining about this next hill. Oh my God, you're out here on a nice day riding a bike. What's wrong with you? I'm, I'm like scolding myself. <laughs> then you come back and go, hey, yeah, I was right. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> Taking it, um, the trickle effect of that, um, Mike is, I mean, I use it myself and I use it with our athletes because it's, it's a countless relentless, like, obstacle that comes in our way. Like just the, the mind is always like, is always look, 
indulging in something that isn't serving us because we practice that. So we can't hear it enough. Uh, and I used your name and that same very uh, short phrase with them many times because it's true. When you're out there on the race course, there's nobody there with you. I mean, especially on the swim, there's nobody there that can tell you like, don't worry about the person who just bumped into you. Don't worry about your gals just got kicked off. Don't worry about the sun. Like, go back into this moment um, that you have, like own the situation, take ownership of it. And and it takes a lot to do that. And I think planting the seeds like you do, at least sends them that much further along to kind of water them and, and, and come up when they need it. But this whole, you're interrupting the process. I love this, like going back to being on the mic, you're responsible for what you say. So there's things that you were conscious of saying that you don't want to say. So you've interrupted that process. The same thing with what happened in the beginning of Wisconsin. You were going down this path of thoughts that weren't serving you, but you interrupted the process. So there's this sense of awareness and presence um, is what I'm getting at. And you talked to Siri, you had Siri on and you guys were asking each other questions. What a great episode that was. Thank you. Um, And you asked her and she answered presence. Um, She had gone to a yoga class and she really dived into breath and and paying attention to what she was doing while she was doing it. But I wanted to hear what you had to say about it because that kind of got left off. She didn't ask you that. And I was curious how presence, um, how you sharpen your skill at at presence, being aware of what you're doing, why you're doing it. I've I've really lived so much in the present i i you know looking forward to things like if <laughs> on my calendar like last year when i had 13 <laughs> events on it i go you know i'm going to be here going to be here going to be here but it is hard to stay in the present but when you're with someone you love you better be in the present when you're out doing gardening you're in the present you're taking care of things when you're working out you're in the present but you, today's world, we get out of it because we're on our phones going like this, you know, scrolling through the thing. We're, we're trying to figure out what somebody else is doing. And gosh, I wish I could do that. <laughs> that's not in the present. So it's, it's hard. And that's why I love yoga. That's why I love working out. That's why I love being with my family. And, you know, my eight-year-old grandson, is, as I am, is so looking forward to watching the Super Bowl together. and. I just they talk about the present, you know, this little guy just so involved and watching it with his papa. Oh, my gosh, there's nothing better in life than that. So those are the types of things I I draw on to keep myself in the present. I really do. And I if somebody said, what's even if you ask now what's on the schedule tomorrow and I, I go, I know I got something, but I got to look at it. <laughs> you know, it's, I, I knew when I woke up today, um, I, new roof being put in on a house. I know I was going to be sitting with you guys for an hour, which is fantastic. And and that's where I'm at. So the present is tough to be in all the time, uh, but it's easier to try to be in it all the time than be someplace else. I like this idea of like just using the calendar for what it was, what it's for, you know, put your appointments on it, but don't, (laughs) if it's, if it's Wednesday the 8th, don't be living in Thursday the 9th. Like just trust you wake up in the morning, you look at the calendar. Okay. This is what I've got going on today. Um, 
I want to switch gears just a little bit. One of the things that we touched upon in our last conversation was, you know, these ITU Olympic distance athletes, you know, they were coming up to 70.3. Well, now we're seeing them at Ironman. And boy, did we see them crush the course on the Big Island last year. Just unbelievable. Chelsea and, uh, and Gustav. So where do you think the game is going from here now that they're getting into these longer distance and with PTO coming up with this distance in between the half and the full? I don't think there's a limit because the limit in the minds of those athletes that are performing way above what anybody thought about, my goodness, 18 months ago, is there's no limit. I, I think that's where they're at. You know, when Mark and Dave ran low 240s in 1989 and nobody even got near it until Patrick Langa did it years and years and years later. Uh, but after he did that, I think people were starting to realize, well, what is this? You know, I this barrier can be broken. So you can go to training and to equipment, the whole deal. But I go right to the mind, you know. To watch Chelsea Sodaro in Kona go out and lead it basically wire to wire and then get on that run and run as hard as she was. I even had a thought a couple of times when I was looking at the splits. Oh, my God. Don't blow up. Don't blow up because I've seen a lot of athletes blow up. I've seen a lot go out hard and want to sustain that because in their mind, they go, I can do it. But it didn't happen. It happened for her. It happened for Gustav. It happened for Christian and other races. And it's happening. And I think what's going to happen now is others are going to go, all right, if they can do it, why can't I do it? I have the same two arms, two legs, but they got to cultivate their mind that they can. So I love where the direction of the PTO is going. I love the, uh, the arena racing, Super League. I love it all. I think competition is good for everybody. Uh, I, I don't, I, I wish there was some shorter, more shorter distance races for more, tri, for people to get into triathlon. You know, you don't want their first race to be a 70.3 for goodness sakes. And there's a lot of race directors. I was just at the USAT conference, a lot of race directors there that are putting on a lot of sprint races, Olympic distance, aquathons and all that to get people into the sport. But I think we need more of them. Uh, and that's where we're going to cultivate that, that 12 year old who runs high school cross country and can swim, uh, all of a sudden when they're 19, 20, they're, they're flying down the road. And that's what we need. And we need that for age groupers too, because we need to make sure that barrier for people to get into our sport is, is out there and down so they can come into the shorter distances and, and move up if they want or stay there if they want. Uh, in my mind, if you swim, bike, and run, and no matter what distances you are, you're a champion in my mind. You don't have to cross the quote-unquote the finish line or the finish line there or here. You just have to cross the finish line. <laughs> yeah, there's there's definitely some, some, I'll call it confusion, right, where triathlon right. all of a sudden became Ironman, and then it's like you got to do an Ironman or you're not doing a race. But triathlon existed way before Ironman, like this, this activity of swim, bike and run. And, and you touched upon it just there, which is 
we're seeing this more and more too, like runners, so much potential, so much strength, so much speed, they get injured. And guess what they do? They start biking, they start swimming. (laughs) And then this moves into like, oh, well, now uh, now I actually like all three of them. And then this amazing athlete can now... Um, grow in the sport of triathlon. And so we see that, we see it so much uh, firsthand, but there is a lack of, of short, you know, short course races, or I should say maybe the publicity of it um, and maybe the participation in it, maybe the participation is low. I just don't know why um, maybe that's where we need to dedicate, you know, more attention to more dollars to more, more growth to, but we're seeing it, you know, we're seeing it in college. We're seeing yeah. the, yeah. the college growth a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm going to say I'm guilty myself. You know, I'm right here in Southern California and I haven't done really any of these short uh, Mission Bay races. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, point the finger at myself. <laughs> I need to be, expand my horizon a little bit, but there's so much opportunity out there. There is. And if I was, if some would say to me, Mike, you want to, pick up this race and race direct this event and take care of the financials and everything. It'd be, I'd be hard. I go, Whoa, that's a tough business putting on a sprint and a, maybe an Olympic distance race. And, uh, because it all depends on numbers, sponsors, how many people are going to show up. So it's a tough business. And that's why I think some of the events have gone away. We need USAT and all the other factions in the sport to start figuring out how we can have a better feeder system. Yeah. Um, you know, like the days of the lifetime triathlon, which was such yeah. a big one, big pro yeah. race, Barry Siff with uh, Boulder Peak having a pro race at an Olympic distance back in the day. And those things have really fallen away. I wonder if PTO will bring back a shorter distance. What do you think? I don't know. I, I don't know what their business plan is. You know, obviously it's all geared to the professional athlete right now. They're trying to foyer into the age grouper, but uh, PTO is professional triathletes organization. So I don't know what their plan is at that. Uh, I think others that have been in the business longer, they probably would have more foresight of, of putting on those shorter distance races. Yeah. You, you were in Kona, uh, you know, through the MACA year, I mean, through so many years, but, yeah. uh, the, yeah. the MACA <laughs> years, you know, talking about somebody who came and blew up and came and blew up and then finally came and, and won. And it doesn't surprise me, I'm sure you know him more on a personal level than I do, but it doesn't surprise me that he has now interrupted, um, or I should say disrupted, um, the sport of triathlon with Super League and made it faster, technical. You know, we had Will McCloy on, who is, you know, the lead announcer. We just uh, talked with Taylor Spivey, who is big Super League athlete. But uh, knowing Maka um, through your interactions with him through the years, um, what do you think of Super League and what it's doing to the sport of triathlon? I love it. You know, it, it, it's okay. And I don't even call it a disruption. I call it a very smart person taking a look at what's out there, what a good business can be built on, and remember, the Super League and the stage races go a long way back in Australia. That was Mac. He used to race all that, uh, the Tui's, the beer. Yeah, the Tui series in Australia. And uh, he knew about that type of racing. And I think he saw an opening 
and said, you know what, let's create this. I, that's fantastic. That's, that's someone sitting down, building a business plan, uh, making it exciting, which we want triathlon to be exciting too, just like people think football is exciting or basketball or track or whatever. So uh, I think he just saw an opening and, and put it together and bully for him. I think it's fantastic. And uh, you know what? It, and, it, and it draws press because of the format, the type of athletes, the, the banter back and forth. You know, I'm going to beat you. You're going to beat me and all that good stuff. I think that's fantastic. And it creates press for our sport. Still swim, bike, and run. You know, it, when, when we associate triathlon with only one type of event, I don't think that's so good. I think we need to associate triathlon with, oh, yeah, that's that one format. That's that. That's that. Sure, it can be a little confusing. It's not like a nine-inning baseball game when that's set in stone, and it will be for the rest of our lives. Uh, the distances are different. So I, I think they've done a great job with that. and I, I'm always excited to watch it. The, um, the role of connector. Mike, um, or the responsibility. Wow. (laughs) Big word. (laughs) The connector. (laughs) From the stories that people share with you, from what you put in your book, to what you speak on your podcast, to all the interactions you have with just people on the street. I'm sure it's not so much of a responsibility of, of connecting people or having that connection with everyone, but more of like, uh, giving meaning and purpose um, to life. Do you, do you, do you feel that? Yes. On some of the requests that I've received over the years, I'm thinking about two in the past month of, uh, Mike, can you talk to this person? Can you say this? Can you, and I always, I'm a little puzzled, like why, why, why would it be good for me to say something? But I think people connect me with, you know, they connect me with a joyous time, with the, with success, with uh, doing something that they thought never was possible. And you know, this past month, I talked to a gentleman that had done four Ironmans. I called him in and called him up on the phone because his daughter asked me to, and. You know, he was battling cancer and hospice and we lost him five days later. And I saw the video and how excited he was when we were having a conversation. And and uh, that connected with his entire family because they knew how much uh, him getting to those finish lines meant to him. And, though, you know, that, that those aren't always easy to do. I'm a little beat up afterwards. And, you know, connecting with a family that, two sons and a mom, a wife that lost their dad uh, just a week ago. And, and it, that's, this sport mimics life in so many ways. Uh, sometimes people will come up and say, so you're the, you're the guy at the finish line, but you're also the guy that called so-and-so and, and it changed their lives. And, and I'm thinking, I, I did not set out to do that. I still today don't think of me as the guy, the person that, <laughs> you know, is going to help solve your problem. But BJ, when you say connector, it's true. Uh, 
And when somebody was finishing a race, that call wasn't always for them. And especially with the advent of online over the last, you know, 15 years or so, I know people all over the world were listening to that call for, you know, mom or grandma who's coming in to battle breast cancer. And I know it's not just for her, it's for her extended family, her friends who have gone through that battle with her. And I, I was the one able to connect them at that moment in time. And it's always, it's always a moment in time that they will never forget because they tell me they won't. Uh, it wasn't like I was going to, oh, well, I'm going to say this and they'll never forget it because my words are so powerful. I never, ever thought that way. I thought that, wow, I want to give them everything they deserve because they've gone through hell to get to the start line, let alone the finish line. So I want to be able to tell everybody they're, they're incredible. They're the best. They're the best human you can see at this point in time. And I know others were listening. So that connector thing, I never looked at it that way, BJ, but I, you know, and that's why I wrote the book. I felt it would be selfish of me, of, of so many people telling me their stories, me, me not to share some of them. What am I just going to keep it to myself? Because some stories in the book, people were public and knew about, but others, people had no clue who they were. Or if I have somebody on my podcast and they have no clue who that person was, but after their story, they go, are you kidding me? I'm glad, glad Mike shared that. Does that help me? So yeah, that connector, I never thought about it, but I may steal that from you, BJ. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is take one, take way, everything. By the way, before I figured, BJ, when you finished Arizona, your last Ironman, my, my last Ironman, you went, you know, I called you in. Here he comes, BJ Gabrowski, and, and I'm bringing you in. And you're looking straight ahead. You're not even <laughs> waving to me. It's like you were delirious. You had a smile on your face, and I go... Didn't it, dude? Didn't he hear me? I'm like, gosh, you just called him. <laughs> you, you were like looking straight ahead. In other words, like, oh, thank you, Mike. <laughs> oh my goodness. Not that I, I think, looking uh, for it, but I found, I found it funny because when I call people in that I know and we've got a relationship, when they completely ignore me, I go, what the heck was that all about? It's like you're walking by a friend and going, hey, how you doing? And the other guy saying nothing. I'm going, what am I, chopped liver up here? I just gave you a... Oh, oh, oh. BJ Gumkowski, you uh, dissed Mike Riley at the so finish sorry. line. <laughs> <laughs> oh that was the state I was in. I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were a wreck seen, that day. I was a wreck. I've seen a lot of those states, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's hysterical. I love it. That is pretty funny. Uh, you know, Mike, one of the things I... I think makes makes you so relatable is that you're not you've never made yourself untouchable. You know, you said it on the podcast and I uh, in 2018, and I've heard you say it on other podcasts and and just in conversation that you know people can call you. They can you'll you'll call the people you know that got into the bike crash and you'll call them in the hospital and you'll and there's a vulnerability about not making yourself untouchable, right? There's making yourself accessible. And in that vulnerability, I feel like we find, we find out who we are and we find ourselves. Um, and just like when you got on the mic and, you know, maybe you were trying to be funny or not trying to be, you know, the moments you weren't trying to be funny and you were funny, that's more authentic you. The times of trying to be funny and then you're not funny, that's us trying to be something else. And there's a lot of folks out there that are 
are confused about who they are and what they want and, and um, finding purpose in, in their life. And the show is about purpose and finding purpose. And, and the show is not about feeling pressure to find purpose, that, that we all have unique gifts um, that we came into this world with. So from somebody who has been vulnerable yourself um, and being vulnerable with other people, what are some words that you have to share with somebody who may be struggling about like, you know, who am I? I don't know who I am. It takes a lot of effort to be me. I don't know what I want to do. You're not alone because everybody doesn't know who they are. We aren't filled up 100% on knowing who we are until times come along in our life that could be tough times or good times that kind of teach us that lesson. And, and, you know, especially younger people and teenagers and, and uh, young adults, uh, they're having a tough time. And, and it, it, it's it, the environment they're in. It's being pushed down by other people. And, and there's really no one way out of that except to learn from the experiences that you have. And when somebody says something to you in a derogatory fashion, or says something to you that just cuts you the wrong way. The first thing you can't do is react to it in an angry way. Because then you'll become an angry person. And you'll do the very same thing to somebody else. It's very hard to walk away. But always know that you are the best person you can be at that moment. And other people are going to try to knock you down. Heck, there was athletes would come up to me and go, None of my family, none of my friends, they all tried talking me out of doing this crazy triathlon thing. And I kept thinking, I think I can do it. I'll be better if I do it. But they'd listen to the naysayers, not do it for a while. And then they'd come back and do it. And they'd find out they were correct. And everybody else was incorrect. Even though it's a loved one or a partner or someone you hold dear in your life. But the dearest person you have to hold in your life is yourself first. And once you realize and do that, when those negative comments come along or those negative thoughts in your head come along, you can push them out. You can keep moving forward. It's, it's very hard. You know, we, we don't have all the answers. Nobody has all the answers. But I do know everybody's in the same boat of trying to find out who they are no matter how confident you think somebody is. And, you know, the greatest teachers in the world teach to learn. The greatest motivators in the world motivate so they can keep learning themselves and find out who they are. You know, getting very personal, I I, I think I know who Mike Riley is. I know who I am to other people. I know who I I am to my family and friends, but I'm still always trying to discover myself and and uh, find my way. It's it, you know I don't wake up every morning going yeah I'm a cheeriest son of a gun in the world and I got not a care in the world and uh, not like that. Nobody's like that. So know that you're in the same boat with everybody else, but you always got to be rowing that thing. 
And once you realize that you're the one with your hands on the oars rowing, you'll get there much quicker. Uh, so yes, there's naysayers in your life. There's people that talk negatively to you or things are said even on the news when you're watching a newscast. Oh my God, I'm so depressed. Look what I just saw. And there's travesties in the world that affect us all, but they can't stop you from moving forward and rowing that boat yourself. Yeah, that's such a potent message. And it's, and I think one of the things that you just described for everyone is that it's not easy. It's, it's not easy. It's 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 not easy to walk away. It's not easy to keep going when everything and, and people around you say, don't go. But I think that there's something about the sport of triathlon that strengthens that muscle for us to keep going because anybody who's done a triathlon at any distance, there's so many reasons to stop. (laughs) There's so many reasons to stop, whether it's an hour race or a 17 hour race, you're going to have so many reasons to stop. And you said it earlier in this podcast that, you know, this sport of swim, bike, run mimics life in so many ways and that that is not to be taken lightly take that into the struggles of life and keep moving forward no matter what. And, you know, getting physical is probably the best medication you can take. Uh, and I've, I've never talked to anybody that's gotten done with a, a run, a gym workout, a bike ride that said, I'm in a bad mood. They were in a bad mood before it, but afterwards they weren't. Something changed for that It could have been a 20-minute workout, but something changed. And that change is what you've got to rely on. That change is something that you can keep building on. Oh, maybe I'll do it again tomorrow and the next day and the next day and, you know, improve my health and keep going out for a walk or a ride or whatever it may be. And it doesn't have to be going out for, you know, a four-hour run. It just has to be something physical that changes people. And that's why our sport, I think, is one of the best in the world because I've seen people transform into great humans from being a part of this sport. Uh, I've known a lot before they got into it and some that are in it now that are, <laughs> it's amazing that, that the transformation they've had in their lives. Uh, it, it, you know, working out and exercise, it's the best medication you can ever take. Mm. Keep taking it. And it doesn't cost a darn thing. You don't have to go to the pharmacy to get it. No script. No doctor. You know? <laughs> That's, um, you know, just that is, it has become my life. Um, and I had, you know, obviously I had that goal of getting to the big race. And that was an obsession. Okay. It was an obsession. I'll be honest. Okay. You know, um, good obsession. That's all right. But now it's happened. And, you know, I was just telling Jess, like yesterday, like I'm still, I still get up and I still get out the door and I'm still running. And I, sometimes I know why. And sometimes it's just, I think it's because it's my, it's just the health. It's just who I, it's what lights me up and what brings me joy. And the, if I don't race again, it's okay. Which, you know, years ago, that would have been not, not anything that would enter my brain. So I believe that you be, you encapsulate the, if you have more and more experiences, 
they become the driver for you to have more experiences to continue mm-hmm. this life school and learn learn about yourself. And, you know, I'm a coach now too, and, and I've got, you know, however many teachers. I, I My athletes are my teachers. They're, they are continually pointing me in directions of becoming a better, a better human. And, and I don't see myself, I don't foresee myself ever stopping swimming, biking or running. Cause it just feels too good, good to me. Um, and I thank you for, you know, pulling me through many races just to get to that end. I mean, there's been ones I've walked and I'm like, just, just have Mike call me in and then I can get, get this done with, I can get back to the hotel and see the kind of pressure I'm under. I can't even go to the porta potty. <laughs> I've got people, people come up to me and go, you better not be in the porta potty. And I, what time are you coming in? About 11 hours, 30 minutes. And they're always wrong. You know, it's like 1245 and, and I'm holding it. And you know, so it's, I always kid about that, but people go, you were on a break. How about I ran to the porta potty and I ran back? That is not a break. <laughs> that, that's just, you know, that's just having to go to the bathroom. Okay. <laughs> the necessary things. Um, so Mike, what do you, where are, what's, um, I know I saw you riding out in the local roads. What's what's a good route for you locally here um, uh, that you like to do? The other day I gravel. Since I'm about four miles from the trail I had at Lake Hodges. So I ride Highland Valley trails on my gravel bike. Then I do Hodges. Then I ride up to Escondido and back. You know, that's like a 30-mile, 30 35-mile route. Yesterday I went out with the boys and rode. I live inland in, in San Diego County. So I rode to Del Mar. We rode to Del Mar and then back up to 56, you know, like a 40 mile route. So I've got routes all over the place. You know, it, some days I just, even when it's a sunny day, I go, you know, I just don't feel I want to go on the road and I'll be on my, in the garage on my smart trainer. And I've got all kinds of weights out there, lift the weights, you know, do all that stuff. So it's, it's great. It's a great lifestyle. The funny thing is, you know, the last weekend, my uh, eight-year-old and four-year-old grandson, they get out of the car, right there is my weights, and I have little ones for them. Right away, the four-year-old picks them up. Look at Papa. I go, how many are you going to do? <laughs> I, I don't know. I go, let's count to 20. And he, and he counted all the way to 20, and the last two were like, what the heck? And he got the whole, I did 20, and he's jumping around the garage. I go, that's all. That, that I hope I teach them. I hope they learn that, you know, Papa was, when I'm not around anymore, he made me lift weights and they're doing it when they're, you know, in high school, college and beyond. Uh, so that's what, uh, that's what moves my needle. <laughs> and, uh, but I do have a lot of routes around. I wish I, my only, I wish I could ride with more of my friends, but living inland, a lot of them live on the coast. And we don't get together as much. I wish I could just have a group three, four days a week that we could ride together, but uh, that doesn't always happen. But you know, some of my best rides is I will, I'll go to the coast, ride, I'll be on my road bike and I'll be heading up the coast highway and I'll see four or five triathletes. So I'll, I'll go up to them and right away I go, Hey, you got a roadie back here. I'm going to suck your wheel. And all of them just, yeah. Oh, great. 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 So I, the last group I did that too like six months ago, we're riding and we're coming through Lucadia and they're doing about 25 and I'm just, I'm behind them going, this is great. I'm having a great ride. All of a sudden one of them looks back and goes, 
Oh my God, that's Mike Riley on our ass. Oh, what, what the heck? They all of a sudden, they all slowed down to like 15. I go, what are you, what are you doing? Well, we didn't know it was you. We were trying to drop you. You can ride with us. I go, oh, okay. <laughs> then we went pedestrian 20 mile an hour and I was happy about that. <laughs> Isn't that interesting how quickly perspective can change, right? Oh, they went from uh, trying to drop you to, you know, not, not, drop not wanting to <laughs> yeah. let you go. Yeah, who's I love jump it. behind us? on a road bike, you know, and you got all the triheads up there. I love it. Oh my God. It's a, the coast highway is such a scene. It's such it's a, scene. a scene. I love it. I can only it's do it every once in a while because I go, my gosh, there's so many people. It just, but it's a great scene. But it's, it is it, a great scene. Um, all right. As we come to the end of our hour. Um, no, I remember I'm the guy that announces for 17 hours. Let's go. <laughs> I know. Just warming up. <laughs> um, your book and your podcast, where can people find you and uh, and what are they going to find when they do? Finding My Voice, my book is still on Amazon, both in hardback and, and softcover. I'm thinking of doing a few book signings this year, so I'll put that on my website, MikeRiley.net, where I do those. Obviously, I won't be at events to do it. And then uh, my podcast of Find Your Finish Line is everywhere you can get a podcast like yours on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I do record a, at least two a month. Uh, I get 24, 26 shows out, try to do that. And uh, I love doing it because it's people from all walks of life, not only just pros, but people from all walks of life, that when I hear their story, I go, man, others have to hear this one. And it's really just, like you say, BJ, to connect that person with so many out there. Uh, at the end of last year, I had Lynn Keen on. You know, she lost her son to suicide when he was in college. And, and you hear of so many young people just committing suicide. And I wanted her to tell her story to help other parents, like maybe notice some of the signals and the signs of, of their children who possibly were going down that road. And it's just, just try to help and try to connect people so that they, you know, kind of do the right things, create a better life. Mm. Beautiful. Well, I think uh, you're doing that. You're helping people create a better life. And, and, uh, and that better life gets created not by you, but by them, right? Taking your yes. words and the, and the messages yes. they receive uh, from your guests and from the stories in your book because it is that inside job. It always has been, it always will be, but you know, you're living the demonstration. We're so honored to, uh, to know you. And, uh, I hope to see, you. I'm going to be looking for you out there. Yeah, you um, can suck my wheel anytime. Yeah. I've got a road sure. bike too. So, um, <laughs> yeah, you can, we'll suck BJ's wheel because he's fast. <laughs> Love it. Well, if I, uh, if I get up to the coast one day, uh, I'll, I'll give you a holler. Maybe we can meet up. That'd be great. That sounds yeah, awesome. that sounds awesome, Mike. Thanks so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Always love connecting with you. And, um, you know, hopefully uh, BJ will give you a nice high five and a fist pump to uh, <laughs> make up for the Arizona debacle. He does. He owes me one. Next time I see him, that guy better come at me high and high, you know. I love it. <laughs> I can build up some really good momentum there. All right. Well, thank, you you. thank you to you two for doing what you do and spreading what I call the good word. Uh, the good word in everybody's mind is always something different, but you spread it and, and that's fantastic. So thank you for doing it and keep it up. 
We will. We're, we're, we're not. We can't stop. Can't see any other way. We got to yeah, keep going. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, Mike. All right. Aloha. Aloha.